Hi, I'm Jane Stahl, retired high school English teacher and director of community relations at Studio B Fine Art Gallery in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And this is the Be Inspired podcast. My guest and I hope that in the few minutes you spend with us, you'll be surprised and delighted to meet someone new, become aware of projects going on in your neighborhood, and maybe entertain a new way to look at the world. Look, we all need to keep our spirits up in these challenging times, and I can't think of a better way to lift up our spirits than to meet interesting, passionate folks and learn about what they're doing to make life better for all of us. And so, join me now for the Be Inspired podcast. Hello, Be Inspired audience. I'm here today with a longtime friend. I mean, longtime friend. We were teacher-student, weren't we? Yes. Once upon a time, a long yes, time ago. This is, we're here with Jennifer Hetrick. And Jennifer um, has been involved with Studio B for any number of years as a volunteer and as a presenter and a longtime supporter of all the kinds of things we do here. But Jen is a writer and has a fascinating story, really, about the journey of a writer over these many years. You've had many, many ways to, uh, what do you say, uh, share your skill with the rest of us. Tell, tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, let's see, so it's funny, when I uh, went to college, I didn't know what to do, and I knew I thought a lot, and I couldn't stop thinking, so I decided <laughs> to be a philosophy major. Um, and I ended up going more in the direction of English, so I did both, but there's a lot of crossover between philosophy and English uh, and writing. So uh, once I was out of college, I was looking for work, and I saw an ad for the Boyertown Area Times and writers. So that's, that's where, right. Yeah, that's where I started with the weekly newspaper. Uh, eventually, once I had writing samples from that to show, I started reaching out to other publications and I w worked for several uh, local and regional newspapers and magazines. And over time, I had all different kinds of work. I uh, wrote for the Writing Eagle on a regular basis for, I think, five years. Wow. Um, in freelancing, yeah, for, I think, at least three to five different sections. Of you the know, paper. and we, were, we knew each other at that particular time, but I can't believe all those many years have passed. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so strange to look back. Well, and actually, I remember, I almost forgot, I interviewed you about the art bus you had. No, that's right. And yeah, I had my own local news publication, News Not Blues, that I put out in town. That's right. And I, I found it uh, like a few months ago, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I forgot about how neat that concept was. And I still tell people about that. And they're like, that is just such a great concept. Well, stop just a minute. News, news Not Blues. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the mission of that. Oh, clearly just, oh, it was positive only local news. So the idea of just bringing everything, you know, bringing all the good out that wasn't necessarily getting attention otherwise, that, you know, I, I've often been a bit frustrated with uh, regular, like traditional news, that there's good, but that they just don't share enough of it. You know, there's so much negativity, there's so much, so many hard subjects. And I thought, like, somebody has to do this, you know. So I, I think I did it from maybe 2010 to 2018, and I eventually had to phase it out. It, um, I did it, I think I did it, what did I do? It was once a month. Eventually I kind of switched to quarterly, and eventually I just had to phase it out. But, but you know, people loved it, um, and people would reach out to me about it. You know, people I'd never met, like, I would distribute it at, like, Freycon Farms, and... Um, 
I can't even remember anymore. I, you know, I just remember, you know, right. I had, you know, local businesses that would agree to, you know, hold well, it. Well, in a sense, that newsletter inspires this podcast. Because the podcast, of course, is be inspired. Mm -hmm. And what I like to talk about, want to talk about, are things that are inspiring to me and inspiring to the community and will inspire the community and so forth. And like you, you know, the, the challenge is to interest people in the positive stuff because regular journalism, what? If it bleeds, it leads. Yes. And so it's not negative, it's not dramatic, it's not confrontational. and therefore has not gone viral yeah. yet. Well, and and I, I think it depends, though, because, I mean, there's people that, I said, as I said, would, would reach out and say, like, you know, I love this so much. Like, thank you for what you're doing. You know, yeah. so you never know. And, and sometimes, say, with newspaper articles, I would take a similar approach with very positive, interesting you know, neutral to just good subjects, and uh, people would reach out that, you know, that, that I would say I would meet them or bump into them in public, and they'd learn who I was, and they would, like, tell me the things they loved and thank me, and so you, you just never know. Um, looking back at the Reading Eagle, like, I did all kinds of things, but one of my favorite pieces was on fireflies, like, I interviewed scientists oh. and, like, a physics professor on fireflies, and, like, just the, you know, the magic of, of the biology of how they work, and, like, you know, when they come out, and what in, in uh, what impacts, you know, how late in the season they come out, depending on the soil, and, like, the weather conditions locally, and, you know, and how long they stay out, depending on the weather conditions, and, yeah. you know, th there's so much, um, there was another one I did on um, four-leaf clovers, and I, I inter and I interviewed um, a professor at Penn State, Maine, about it, and he said, you know, when you find a place that has one, you're generally likely to find others because it's about the concentration of the, the um, that characteristic in the particular genes of the group of plants in that area. So if you're in an area and you search and search and search and you can't find one, you might be uh, in a patch of them that has genetics that don't really have that or don't have a lot of that. And you know what I mean, like, and and there's How no, fascinating. And there's nothing like finding a four-leaf clover. Like, it literally changes your life. Like, you know, what I mean? like, <laughs> and 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 I didn't realize how easy it was to find them if you find an area that has them. So, I mean, those are just some things I've written about all kinds of stuff. But I mean, just away from everything else, I think that stuff is so important, and we need it like more than is necessarily being discussed. So. How about that? Yeah, mm -hmm. like you say, there's so much to make us fearful, so much to make us anxious, so much to make us angry mm -hmm. around these days. And so, you know, focusing on the positive is really good. One of the things that you did that the studio was involved in was a grant that you wrote through Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. And you published what, was it three books? Yes. Talk about that just a little bit. Are you, do you still have them? Are they out of print? Are they available? Uh, I still have them. I have certain editions or uh, copies more than others. So, um, and the Historical Society has asked me to sell them now too. So I have to follow up with them on that. Since uh, the first and third books in particular have a lot of Boyertown poems, like that, the Casket Factories, the Hosiery Mills, uh, things along Your mission lines. for that project was? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, the project is The Labors of Our Fingertips, Poems for Manufacturing History in Berks County. And it was a three-year poetry project uh, where I interviewed more than 70 different seniors across Berks County about their memories of working in uh, long gone, mostly long gone factories and mills in the area. Um, and then I converted the interview content into poetry. 
Um, and I, you know, and I also, I, I had to do a lot of fact checking because a lot of things I couldn't easily find. Some things I could research online, some things I had to go to historical societies for to make sure that wow. everything was accurate. And then I would take it back to the sources uh, and have them proofread it for accuracy to make sure it was correct and like true to them. And one of the things that I was, what was so impacting to me was um, some of these people, like say for example, I remember one man, now I can't even remember where he worked, I think he worked for Glengarry Bricks um, in uh, West Reading. So he lived in Manor Care in West Reading and um, he had also been in World War II. Um, oh, my memories are so bad now, I think it was maybe Japan where he was. And so I also incorporated the war and, you know, veterans. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, the, the manufacturing. I tried to encompass, like, anything I could that was important and historical and specific to that person for what I could fit into the poem. And when I, I remember when I took his poem to him, he, he, like, just looked like he had tears in his eyes and he was so touched. And I think it, at Manor Care in particular, it's, and I don't mean that the employees don't care, but, like, a lot of times you see they're neglected, just kind of not visited residents. And so I think, like, I was probably a breath of fresh air to come in and, like, do this for him and, and to honor him. And I don't think he understood, like, a lot of times what I was doing just seems so far, far gone to people that they didn't always understand fully what I was doing <laughs> until the poem existed. And then they were like, oh, okay. And, and he just looked like it meant so much to him. And it just, it, it, I did not see that behavior, that kind of vibe, that response from him when I first interviewed him. Um, so it, it, that was one of the most rewarding things is seeing how much they appreciated that like I took the time to learn about their life and encapsulate it in a poem, you know, and especially knowing these are not people, most of them, who ever really paid much attention to poetry, which is a lot like a lot of people today. <laughs> so I think it's, it's also a great way to show them a form of literature they're not used to, um, where they can like really see themselves in it. And, you know, and, and also it's very accessible. Um, so, you know, I think it was just that I approached it as well as I could to be just um, you know, agreeable, like mentally that people could follow it, you know, and understand it, that it wouldn't be far-fetched, uh, hard to follow or anything along, like that. So, and then at the poetry readings, and I, I lost count after I did 40 poetry readings across the county at all different kinds of community uh, venues, but the one thing people loved most was I would invite at least like one to two or more uh, of the sources if I could, if they were able to come out feasibly. Uh, and I, you know, so I'd have, and, and you would remember from my readings here that I'd have them sit uh, at the front when I would read their poems so the audience could see this person and get to know who was behind the poem, but then also ask them questions about their lives. And when I would do surveys at the end, they always said that was their favorite part, like That's seeing so the actual weird. person. And then the, the, the seniors, they were just so touched and honored, too, because, again, you know, that's nobody's really, like, slowing down to ask them about their memories and, like, you know, their younger years and how they helped to build the country, you know, and the economy and things like that. So, um, yeah, so I feel really fortunate that I had the energy back then to, to push forward, <laughs> forward with all Can that. you tell me what inspired that particular project? Because I always thought it was just so very special. That the elderly, as you say, mm -hmm. don't always don't always get the opportunity mm -hmm. to share their history, and you know, once they pass away, yes. then people are sorry yes, exactly. that they didn't ask the questions and gather the information. And it's such a gift. That's why one of the things I loved about your project was that you gave these folks 
such a gift of your attention, you know, and interest. And I know that it mattered. I was so inspired by the poetry readings that you did here at Studio B. And then having those people here, as you say, and sharing additional stories and having the back and forth dialogue between the audience and, you know, and the um, person, you know, about whom you wrote was just so lovely. Oh, what inspired you? I forgot I love that aspect of the back and forth and the questions. Oh, just, yeah. That, that was wonderful. Um, so it, it, it took me a little while. I just remembered. Um, Barbara Presnell, she's a poet from one of the Carolinas. And I met her through Heather Thomas, um, the uh, third poet laureate of Berks County, who's one of my good friends. And she's a retired English professor from Kutztown University. And I, I, I interviewed her years ago for News Not Blues. That's how I met okay. her. Um, and reaching out to her. And so Barbara Presnell is one of her friends who I believe she came up here and got maybe at Goggle Works Center for the Arts to do a poetry reading. And she wrote about the mill where her father had worked. And I think okay. he was like a manager. He, maybe he did something with machine work. I'm not sure. So she interviewed um, employees at the factory. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a t-shirt like knitting mill. And so that is what got me kickstarted because like we were talking about through Heather, you know, that there was so much value in the history in our region uh, in manufacturing. And then I heard about the Pennsylvania um, Council on the Arts uh, uh, grants that they had not just for nonprofits, but for individuals. And I knew it was a perfect fit and it took me a few months. I rushed and got everything ready. And then I ended up getting, you know, grants for the next three years for the project, uh -huh. uh, which helped it to be possible. And I had a lot of community support as well. And so that, you know, that's how everything came together. It's, that point. I just, again, I just think it was an inspired project. And I compliment you for that. I haven't had a chance really to talk with you about that for a long time. Now, next year, I understand Building a Better Boyertown is having what they call Boyertown Days. Mm -hmm. And it would seem to me it would be a perfect time to resurrect. Oh, that would be very nice. Yeah, during yeah. that particular, so let me just, as I'm thinking about it right now, you know, keep in mind, stay tuned, reach out to the, B the BABB people to see what their plans are because we could do once again, maybe here or somewhere else in the community, you know. And, you know, that reminds me of uh, the Historical Society that they, they were great to work with, the Boyertown Area Historical Society. Um, but a few months ago, I had heard there was a casket factory program and I was yes. so excited and I wanted to go, but I ended up not being able to go because of my job. Um, but I reached out to them and said, because um, I, I had heard they said in one of their posts that Marilyn Monroe was buried in one of our caskets. And I had not heard that before. Okay. And I have been rabbit holing about her life like, since my <laughs> teens. And so I thought I would have already stumbled across that. So I had said, like, can you confirm the source for that? You know, was that an invoice record? Was yeah, that yeah. like some business record? Was it in a, uh, some article? And they were said, well, you have to come to find out. So, <laughs> so I was, I was going to try and it didn't work out. So I asked if they could do a video like of just that segment on her um, because I don't know if you know but there are so many fan pages of Marilyn Monroe on Instagram and a lot of people are very dedicated and loyal to making sure only factual information is yep. given about her not you know right um, right right not any like stories that turned out to be inaccurate um, there's people that if you Photoshop her, they get very upset and they say this is disrespectful, like, you know, right, right, as right. she was. And so I thought, I said to them, you know, like, if you could just do like a quick video of that, that would be like, I think it could help to gain exposure for the right. historical society. 
And they ended up having so much uh, content to go over that they decided decided to make a second <laughs> program uh, just about the famous people yeah. um, that had been in our caskets. And so I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but I said I'd love to be there because I do think it would just be multi-purpose, very beneficial to get that information out there. To Absolutely. Well, they decided this past year that they didn't have enough time because Jillian moved from mm -hmm. manager to yeah. the historical site. So I think they have it planned for May. So oh, okay. She told me she'd let me know when because I was like, I want to yes. be there. Yes, I yes, want to yes. do my own video. So Keep that in mind. Yeah. Let's get back to you just a moment and your journey as a writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, for you to consider that you wanted to make a living being a writer, that's got to be tough. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, there are good jobs out there, but they're few and far between, and there's a lot of com competition for them, uh, the full-time ones. And there's also, uh, you know, it's even worse in recent years. So, um, I mean, there, there are opportunities, but it's, it's just tough because there's so many people that want these jobs. Um, and so much of so much of this type of work has been brought, you know, transitioned to freelancing that, it, you know, it's harder to get jobs uh, that are not freelancing. And, you, you know, it helps, but it's not enough to live on. And I did it for actually the... You did. The, the few years of my poetry project because there was no way I could have off that much to do the interviews. Right, right. So I did a lot of independent work for those years. And it wasn't easy, but I survived. Um, yeah. So... And, I, and, you know, you were one of the first, really, in my consciousness anyway, who was putting together, like, a gig... Mm -hmm. You know, I'll do this for a little bit of money. I'll do this for a little bit of money. And now... Since COVID, mm -hmm. where people have prefer to do remote work, it's become more of a thing. Yes, you were you were a what do you say? Uh, I was I was early in it for a little <laughs> while. So yeah, no, I know, and, and it's I think we've been learning so much like since then, and employers have been learning so much. Because, you know, I think there, so. There's just like there was some podcast I was listening to where they were talking about how it will change how we look back on history and how yep. we look back on how jobs and economies work. And there's so there's employers that really understand and have adapted well. And then there's ones that are just like, they can't get out of old thinking, you know what I mean? And, and so we have all learned so much of the difference of how much energy we have, how much more time we have when we're not, you know, driving somewhere like, and we see how useless a commute can be. Oh, and, isn't uh, that the truth? I mean, it depends on the job. Certain jobs have to be done in person, like by nature, but right. for the ones that don't have to be, you know, like we've all learned and I don't think they all want to know that part, but I'm like, facts are facts. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I feel fortunate to be remote for now. So what are you doing now? Uh, I, it's funny. It sounds like I'm technical. I'm, I am to a degree. I do Linux and Windows Server support. So basically, what holds up the internet by day? Like I'm helping people that are running huge parts of the internet, like to make sure that their servers are working. So okay. we have a, my employer has a, a data center in Lenexa, Kansas, and then we have data centers in the UK, Germany, and Spain. So I help with like troubleshooting and managing things related to their their virtual servers, cloud servers, and dedicated, which are physical hardware servers. Even I don't understand all of what I'm talking about, <laughs> but I, I know enough to get by, and, and because I care about quality, like it it works out well for me. I'm all right. <laughs> so you are able to help folks like me who have trouble with their computers a little bit it depends what it is yeah yeah so we and we do more <laughs> linux than windows so and even that was such a like i was like what because we all you know have windows mostly so um yeah I, I, i'd like to learn more about it so i can be even better about it but sure. like it's kind of i describe it as like say 
understanding servers is like a circle and like I know everything on the outside and the in, inner rim of the circle but everything inside is the technical like yes, yes. that stuff I don't right <laughs> but I don't right. have to totally but it would probably benefit me but like again I, I, I know enough to get by and but and, and, and I'm a good employee so that like those things matter and care or you know matter and uh, make a difference excellent so what are you writing today uh, literally today or you do mean in general in the, in the in the you know what projects are you working on oh okay gotcha I thought that's what you meant I'm so literal you gotta be careful with me um so yeah so let's see excuse me so I run two magazines um in Limerick and Collegeville areas so those are mainly the things that I'm doing I do still sometimes take side work um but very very selectively because I just don't have enough time for it um Mm -hmm. I do have a professor uh, at Montgomery County Community College that I've been helping. Um, he has like a side business that he's been starting, and so I help him with like his website content and uh, you know things things along those lines, editing, proofreading, and stuff. So I, I do a little bit of that, uh, but otherwise, like I said, I uh, run magazines in Limerick and Collegeville in Montgomery County. They're Limerick Living Magazine and uh, up any poetry. Not as much as I would like. I don't really have the mental space for it anymore. Um, I, I miss it very much, um, and I hope to get back into it someday. I mostly do like haiku once in a while. I, I write about um, house sparrows because I had mentioned before we started the uh, recording here that I've gotten into appreciating birds. So yes. to help me get through life since 2020 and getting <laughs> bird feeders and, and uh bird houses so I'll do little like haiku about house sparrows because I love them so much and I learned so much from them and they just lift my heart and seeing them in my backyard so that's the main thing is haiku about sparrows (laughs) very good and I you and I got connected just recently through some articles that you did for one of the magazines Mm -hmm. that you're in charge of and you wrote about which really touched my heart one of the things you used to do and that is take picnics to the to the top of a cemetery and what meditate or write or Um, take your young nieces and yeah and I finally just went a few weeks ago because you you inspired me to get back there when we were emailing about that so yeah so on Friday nights um this was years ago and I'm trying to get back into it on Friday nights after work I would um order Chinese food um I'd go to China King in Gilbertsville and Uh order crab rangoon and (laughs) um uh, cherry bean curd is the other thing I love and so I would take a bag of books of poetry and I would take paper and like envelopes and pens and I for, to write letters yeah. and I would eat my dinner and I would just enjoy the air up there and I'd read poetry and then as the sun would go down I, you know I'd watch the sunset and I would always um, because like you don't think about the fact that time changes as far as when the sun's going to go down mm-hmm. I'd always google ta- sunset in Philadelphia first so I could gauge when I needed to get there to make sure right. I could have some good time before the sun went down yeah um, when my niece and nephew were little I would take them so they could enjoy it with me and and I would you know let them write letters and postcards to our family and then like when the fireflies were out you know they would love like they, they just like it was so magical for them um, and I also taught them about uh, oh there was a rainbow meditation I forgot I don't do direct meditation but 
the idea of like looking for colors around you to identify to kind of calm yourself down in like a rainbow color pattern oh lovely and yeah and I mean they loved it and I I also wanted to teach them to like a cemetery because so many people are afraid of them and just won't go near them but they're the most peaceful calming place you know and that the air feels like more clear and less thick when you're up in them and uh, so it's just you know one of my favorite things to calm down away from the world I love that story I just think uh, and I'm with you. I used to visit when I complications would come in my young life. I'd go up to the top of Fairview Cemetery and just think of it. And you know what I did a few weeks ago? I guess it hopefully it's, it's probably illegal, but um, I, I went up the night of the um, the blood moon. And okay. So I, I mean, illegal in the sense you shouldn't be there, but you know, I wasn't hurting anyone. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I took a, a big blanket and and the because um, I, I just wanted to see the moon and I knew it would be a great spot and I can't really see it well from my house. Right. Um, and the sky looked like it, it was not going to clear and I, but I like I'm like I know I need to just like focus and like calm down and then eventually like maybe it'll work out and it did. How and cool. oh, it was so magical. So I was up there by myself. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. It was I like ten or eleven it. o'clock at night. The other article that I read in the magazine you left me was about Colorbot mm-hmm. and, and Bookbot. Book yes. A project that a young 10-year-old. I think she's nine. She's nine-year-old mm-hmm. and her father got involved in to leave art materials mm-hmm. or books. Yes. Somewhere in the Limerick? Royersford. Royersford community yeah. for people to come and take and use and, you know, exchange and so forth. And I thought that was a terribly inspired and I tried to reach out to them. I'm not sure they're... Oh, I'll reach out to them for you. They're, I mean, okay. they, they have a lot going on. No, they'll be really happy. They, they love when people... Well, I just wanted to give stuff. them some positive... Yeah. Maybe invite them to share their experiences mm-hmm. oh, in the community. Oh, that would be so nice. Well, yeah, and, um, and, and I, what I love about it is it, it was the, the daughter's idea, Olivia. I love And that. she was eight years old when she came up with the concept, and her dad was so encouraging... And he really helped her along the way um, and just made sure that, you know, everything she needed to, like, do the work would be done. You know what I mean? Like, and I was just like, I've never seen that, you know. And, and um, so there, and, you know, Colorbot looks like a little robot that's a newspaper box and so does Bookbot. <laughs> and, you know, that people can come and, and you know, take these uh, art materials and bring new ones and, like, and drop off their art to share so, like, other people can see it. And same thing with the books as the idea of a, a little library. Um, but you know something similar but for all ages and I love that it also she wanted it to be for everyone she didn't want these things to just be for children um, so she she just I'm like I'm like you're an amazing little soul and <laughs> you know Olivia. and maybe we'll hear more about and from them in a future episode Jen I want to thank you for joining us today this has been just magnificent there's so much you have to share relative to the writing life and um, Uh, working in the arts today so once again thank you for joining us on the be inspired podcast thank you so much thank you for downloading this episode of the be inspired podcast if you enjoyed the be inspired podcast please subscribe to be notified of new episodes this podcast can be found on apple podcast google podcast anchor spotify or wherever it is you listen podcasts. And we welcome you to suggest people, projects, and perceptions that inspire you. What the world needs now is inspiration. Contact me, Jane Stahl, at studiobbb.org or stop by Studio B.
More information can be found in the episode notes. We are eager to meet you and learn what it is you love. This is the end of today's episode, and I hope you find your way today to be inspired.